And hello there, Peter Mansbridge here. You are just moments away from the latest episode of The Bridge. It's Thursday. It's your turn. What's on your mind? And the random ranter, one you won't forget, coming right up. And hello there, welcome to uh, Thursday, your turn, as it is every week. Uh, and this week, with it being a shortened week, with Monday being that holiday, um, the question is pretty straightforward, it's pretty simple. What's on your mind? What's on your mind this week? And uh, we got a variety of answers. Um, so we're looking forward to getting to that, but that's not how I'm going to start. I'm going to start with a great letter that I got this week. Actually, I got a couple on this point. If you listen to last week's Your Turn, there was a letter from a Manitoba community. And keep in mind, I, you know, I have roots in Manitoba. I, uh, I started my career as, in broadcast journalism in, in Manitoba, up in Churchill and then Winnipeg. I was there for, I guess, six or seven years. So I thought I knew Manitoba pretty well. I did a lot of traveling around Manitoba. In the north, central, east, west, south. I thought I knew Manitoba well. But suddenly I got a letter from a community that I'd never heard of before. And clearly I'd never heard of it because I got it wrong. <laughs> when I tried to pronounce it, I called it Nanette, Manitoba. So I had a couple of letters telling me, hey, Peter, it ain't Nanette. I got this letter from Donna Paul. She's in Calgary. But as she says, I grew up on a farm just east of Surus, Manitoba. Love your Manitoba reminiscing. The province holds a warm place in my heart as well, having worked as a lab tech in several small towns before heading west to ski, change career, and marry. Ninette is close to Killarney, Manitoba, and the I is pronounced like night. So, Ninette. On a hot, and this is where I love this letter, because I could imagine this, even though I've never been to Ninette, but I've been to a lot of communities, I guess, somewhat like it. On a hot summer Sunday after church, Mum would pack a container of sandwiches and cookies and a thermos of iced tea. Off we'd go to splash about in muddy-bottomed Pelican Lake for an afternoon while the parents watched from their aluminum-nylon-webbed lawn chairs. Ninette was the nearest town to Pelican Lake and was known for its TB sanatorium, some of which is still standing. The adults would talk about the sanatorium, and for me, TB was, oh, so scary. Little did I know, I'd train at Deer Lodge Veterans Hospital in Winnipeg and actually see a case found in our lab in the 70s when it was a rare thing. We had a parade of pathologists visit to see TB under the microscope for themselves. It would be interesting to understand how prevention and treatment of TB over the years may now serve as a cautionary tale for how infectious diseases are understood today. Someone ought to write a book. 
Thanks for your excellent podcast, and I enjoy every Manitoba story. Well, Donna, I hope you enjoyed hearing your own story. From Ninette. Won't forget that. Ah, the images of going to the lake in the summer. Small towns across the prairies. It's going to be a tough year on the waterfront, as the ranter told us a couple of weeks ago. Drought seems to be on the horizon unless we have some really snow-filled and rain-filled months ahead because uh, it's tough out there and it's drying up big time. And I see a lot of other people and other journalistic organizations are starting to pick up on that theme that the ranter, I believe, was one of the first, if not the first, to talk about it. All right, let's get to... um, Let's get to your letters. And once again, uh, this week is, is kind of a potpourri of your thoughts on any number of different issues. But it does seem, and I guess not surprisingly, that the number one thing on a lot of people's minds, international affairs. And to many, international affairs seem to be falling apart. Like Chris Neves wrote, This is something I've been trying, and sadly failing, to communicate to our representatives in Ottawa about Ukraine. Canada needs something to contribute. Perhaps one of the best and easiest things that we could do would be to build up our industrial base. Ammunition plants, especially artillery ammunition, are essential. Canada has a grand total of one in Quebec that produces about 3,000 shells per month. Ukraine needs at least 6,000 per day. This kind of plant is extremely simple and plays into Canada's strengths. It's steel working. Each shell currently has tripled in price over the past two years. Domestic production would more than pay for itself over the next decade. Not only would this be a very welcome local jobs boost, not only could it be taxed and the profits used for local housing, but it would help at least a bit towards that 2% GDP NATO commitment. Ken Peleshock in uh, Newstad, Ontario. That's about an hour north of um, of Stratford, where I live most of the time. I'm in Toronto today. Ken Peleshock writes, Since February 2022, my mind has been... Concerned with Ukraine, Russia, and what looks to me like the steady march to World War III. Germany ended World War I with her economy in ruins and the loss of a generation of fighting-aged men, yet she was able to regroup and rearm for another round in 20 years. How long before Russia re-emerges stronger, leaner, more experienced for modern war, with a generation of indoctrinated soldiers from the occupied lands? And she can play her opponents like a fiddle by polarizing and politicizing everything, even NATO Article 5. And we know what Article 5 is. That's the the article that says an attack on one member is an attack on all and commits members to defending each other. This is what happened in after 9-11. NATO for the first time exercised Article 5 and said... 
an attack on the United States, as happened on 9-11, is an attack on all of us. And the various countries of NATO, including Canada, lined up in support of the United States and went to war in support of the United States. Lost soldiers, as we did. More than 150 Canadians were killed in Afghanistan. Many others were wounded, maimed by war. So we were there. So were other countries of NATO were there to support their ally who had been attacked. That's what Article 5 is all about. John Baker in Eagle Bay, B.C. That's about a, if you're looking at a map, B.C., you know where Kamloops is? Well, it'll go about 100, about 100 clicks east of Kamloops. You'll find Eagle Bay. John writes, my greatest concern is that Donald Trump, who he nicknamed, nicknames Chamberlain, will win and as a result trigger a third world war, which could be nuclear. The Democrats are sleepwalking into a defeat. Biden is too old to run a country in a campaign. A younger candidate would give Americans a reason to vote Democrat on a platform of human rights, voting rights, health rights, education rights, child rights, taxation rights, housing rights. There must be a reason to vote for rather than only against Trump. So there are reasons to be very pessimistic. I see the same signs as in 1939 when I was nine and lived in the Netherlands. Chris Fry writes from Ottawa. Who could have ever imagined a world in which a not insignificant portion of the Republican Party in the United States would become supporters and admirers of Vladimir Putin's Russia? If one is in need of a particularly concerning example of just how far U.S. politics have shifted in the MAGA age, this one surely takes the Medovic. That's, I had to look that up. But a Medovic is a Russian honey cake. The Americans, by way of their own internal political dysfunction, have contorted themselves into a deeply problematic paradox. Europe, and indeed the world, is waiting with bated breath for the U.S. to come back to their senses and return to the pulpit as champions of a rules-based world order, when in reality they cannot manage to pass a spending bill sufficient enough to build even a lectern. How is it possible for a superpower to produce two woefully insufficient frontrunners for their presidency at a time of such vital importance for the trajectory of the world? Donald Trump is certainly not the solution for the gargantuan task ahead, but sadly, neither is Joe Biden. It is such a deeply troubling time to count on the United States electorate to make smart choices with so much at stake, assuming that they can even hear their own thoughts over the sound of Vladimir Putin's self-satisfied laughter. David Elliott writes from Charlottetown, my biggest concern is just how two people, Mike Johnson, you know who he is, he's the Speaker of the House of Representatives, and Donald Trump can hold their own country hostage by not providing assistance to Ukraine at this time. It's mystifying that we are at this point today. 
The whole world is waiting and watching. John Moreland in Port Wade, Nova Scotia. Port Wade's, uh, it's on the, the shore of the Annapolis Basin. John writes, what if, what if Trump returns as president? All U.S. funding to Ukraine is canceled. Ukraine is forced to make a one-sided, one-sided peace in Russia's favor. An emboldened and strengthened Putin looks for another victim. Trump repeats his invitation to Putin regarding NATO members and withdraws from NATO. Putin invades the Canadian Arctic. What if? Mary Reinhardt in Barrie, Ontario. I'm more and more thinking the greatest threat to Canada is the USA. If we are truly honest, our government must dance to the chorus the U.S. sings. Maybe sometimes a bit out of step, but we dance, thus acquiescing to their power. Our economy and defense totally rely on them. The friend and partner we once had has become more of a bully, a soft bully, but still dominant. With the potential of a Trump presidency, we have cause to be very concerned, especially if he's willing to throw NATO under the bus. Canada's just another state to the likes of a Donald Trump. Dwight Powell in Wasega Beach, Ontario. The overriding one thought that preoccupies me is the electability of Donald Trump to another term as president. Following the issues that may prevent this from happening, such as his legal troubles and Biden's popularity in swing states, is to experience daily anticipation and high anxiety. The next American presidential election will mean either the free world will be finished with Trump or it's the finish of the free world. Ian Walker in St. John's, Newfoundland. With America's offering of sub-2% European nations to the Russian bear, it's not just European nations, it leaves an awkward double standard between Canada and European members of NATO. We in Canada do not even try to meet our international commitment to our defense partners because we know Uncle Sam will not tolerate a hostile border to the north. This not new. In 1942, America saw that Canada and the UK had not adequately defended Newfoundland. It was not long before three bases and countless GIs moved in. If Canada doesn't protect Canada, we may as well fly the Star-Spangled Banner. A little bit more history involved in those American bases in Newfoundland at the time of the Americans um, coming up with the Lend-Lease program for uh, ships for Britain. But we hear your point, Ian. Marilyn Wallace in Fannie Bay, British Columbia. What's on my mind is a big struggle to process all the pre-war news that is swirling around. My grandparents must have faced a similar dilemma prior to my grandfather signing up to serve in World War I. What if the long-standing NATO alliance collapses? What if we can no longer count on the U.S. as our ally? Could a third world war happen? Ideas that I have long held to be true might not be so anymore. And although my family and I are not in immediate danger, my mind doesn't know how to process the frightening possibilities. All right, 
Let's let's move to some other concerns, though. As you'll see, some have an element of international troubles with them. Nicole Bienvenue in Chilliwack, B.C. Civil unrest is on my mind, from anti-Semitism, anti-LGBT, anti-Muslim, to the war in Ukraine, and unrest with the Gaza and Israelis. This is just a start to fake news propaganda and chaos with elections in the USA and not to mention Trump. I can't recall in my life this level of civil unrest, of questioning the media, or threats of war and violence around the world. Penny Robertson in Napanee, Ontario. I am a progressive, so I believe government has a big role to play in making our lives better through social services, public housing, public utilities, and publicly funded health care, which should cover medical care, psychotherapy, dental care, pharmacare, and eye care. I believe publicly funded daycare and even a government-funded universal basic income would benefit everyone in society. However, I have to shake my head at the way the federal government is suddenly being blamed for every problem in our society and is expected to fix issues like inflation, homelessness, high food, housing prices, shrinkflation, and a rise in acts of violence. Some of those problems are after-effects of the pandemic, which are found worldwide, yet the Liberal government is held solely responsible for them. Some of the problems fall under provincial jurisdiction, while others have been building in our country for decades. Yet it is again all the Liberal government's fault. In the case of climate change, the Liberals are expected to fix the problem of emissions while making sure that no Canadian will suffer any inconvenience or expense. Frankly, I'm fed up with the unrealistic expectations many Canadians have for our federal government and fear it will lead to electing a far worse one. Kellyanne Hutchinson in Ottawa. Eating is on my mind. I'm wondering why those of us on government disability benefits are legislated to be third-class citizens in perpetuity. What did we do wrong? How are we expected to survive living two-thirds below the poverty line? All the while, abled Canadian citizens scratch their heads wondering why there's a homelessness, mental health, and addiction pandemic. Please, see us. Doug Haw in Priceville, Ontario. Where's Priceville? Well, it's about an hour north of Kitchener. What's on my mind today are my operations this week at Shouldice Hospital. Shouldice is world famous. It's a you know private hospital north of Toronto, specializing in hernia operations. I had one there. In fact, I had two there. The first thing in my suitcase was your new book I picked up just for my stay. I'm going to try to stay away from the news for the week and focus on recovering. <laughs> that might be a good thing. There's the shoulder ice walk, as you'll get used to after your operation. It takes a while to get back to walking normally. And for the first, for the days you're there after the operation, you see a lot of people walking in the shoulder ice walk. Denny Knott in Lucan, Ontario. It's just outside London. 
actually Danny's in Florida at the moment. He's a snowbird. Sorry to be a downer, and I do look for positive stuff, but I'm bummed out on a few things. Our great country marks time while our governments major in minors. Our socialist thinking, major cities dominate the more rural areas of our country with their distracting special issues. The promise of this country is being squandered. Resources, generosity, brain drain, etc. We have usually punched above our weight, but we are becoming irrelevant on the world stage. Ron Fisher in Moncton. I'm very concerned that events are running ahead of us and we are headed for a very unstable world. Meanwhile, Canada talks a good game but doesn't put its money where its mouth is. Our military is starved for cash and we are nowhere near the 2% target set by NATO. I suggest Canada immediately increases its defense budget to 2% of GDP. I know we're over budget, but like COVID, this is a crisis we must meet. Dale Eisen in Toronto. Top of our mind right now, I would say it's misinformation and disinformation. The World Economic Forum just identified those two areas as the biggest concerns facing the world over the next two years due to the three billion people that will be participating in elections worldwide in that time period. It's an amazing number, right? Three billion people will be taking part in elections over the next couple of years. And if if they're making their decisions based on misinformation, which are basically just bad reporting, mistakes, or disinformation, which is much more worrisome, because it's deliberate, trying to impact and affect you in the way you're going to vote. And they see examples of disinformation almost every day. Nicholas Hamilton in Prince George, B.C. B.C. and Alberta are suffering the lowest recorded snowpack in recorded history. This is a sleeper issue that the Canadian media, except for the random rander, is not telling now, but could become one of the most important stories of the decade. The Site C Dam, which was constructed on the Peace River at a cost to taxpayers of $16 billion, cannot yet produce electricity because there's not enough water to fill the reservoir on schedule. One must ask if this investment will ever pay off due to changing climate. Some residents in the upper Fraser River area may run out of drinking water. There may not be enough water in rivers for salmon to migrate upstream. Alberta farmers will likely suffer due to drought conditions, and Alberta communities are planning on water conservation strategies for the summer. If we have a bad wildfire, will we have enough water to fight fires? Sean Aiken in Whitby, Ontario. I suppose what I'm mulling over these days is the winter, or its non-presence so far. I played outdoor golf a week ago, and three times in early December. It's in Whitby, Ontario. Should we be happy and celebrating the sunshine, warmth, and lack of snow, or worried about how abnormal this year's winter season seems? Michael Artendale in Sudbury. 
Why is it in 2024, when we are trying to fight climate change, the fifth largest city in Canada, you know where that is? Fifth largest? Edmonton. And the third largest, Calgary, are not connected to each other by intercity rail. (laughs) Yeah. How weird is that? Reversing the cuts of the 1990s to via rail outside the Quebec-Windsor corridor could be a good way to give us lower carbon options for transportation. I had not realized that. That there's no intercity rail between Edmonton and Calgary. That it stopped in the 90s when those the via cuts happened. I'm not sure how much it was being used then. I'm not sure how much it would be used today. Michael McGee in Victoria. What's on mind, my mind is the level of carbon dioxide in the Earth's atmosphere. Last week, CO2 averaged 423 parts per million, up from 420 one year ago. What do scientists say about that? that the highest setting that's safe is 350 parts per million, and that the present overshoot should be kept brief. I love our planetary home, and I think most people do too. For myself, I just don't know how to say I love the planet and then not think or say anything about the key signal and targets for keeping life and civilization stable and sustainable. This is why atmospheric CO2 levels are forever on my mind and now at the tip of my pen. Albert Lynch writes from Surus, Manitoba. Lately I've been bothered by how differently my fellow Canadians view the carbon tax than I do. I believe it's a Robin Hood tax. It takes from the rich carbon burners and gives to those who burn less carbon. A lot of debate about this, right? Tax the tax, carbon tax. And I think it may be fair to say the majority of people don't really know what it is or how it works. I guess that's one of the reasons the government is thinking of changing the name, changing the way the carbon tax works. I don't know. Um, Albert writes, this gives lower-income people money which they then put into the economy. The rebate money has helped lower-income people cope with today's rising costs and would hurt many Canadians if the tax was scrapped. Scrapping the tax would not help balance the budget even a dime. The climate plan is reducing emissions and working, so I'd like to hear a better plan before any more acts the tax noise. Where are we here? Oh, it's time for her break. We got more letters. And we got the random rander to come. And I, the rander's going to have some of you very upset today. <laughs> but he's the rander. He gets to rant, and rant he will. Uh, but first, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back with more of uh, your letters right after this. 
And welcome back. You're listening to uh, The Bridge, the Thursday episode. That means your turn right here on Sirius XM Channel 167 Canada Talks or on your favorite podcast platform. And however you are hooking up to us today, we're glad to have you with us. Um, more letters on this week's Your Turn. Nicole Brandon in London, Ontario. There were actually quite a few letters from London this week. Nicole writes, on my mind is the municipal budget and policing. Here in London, the police submitted a budget increase request for a whopping $672 million, to which the mayor gave thumbs up to the full amount. This alone will account for a 5.5% increase in property taxes. Meanwhile, other important city services will get only a fraction of their requests. Police get 100%, and everyone else fights for crumbs. I wrote a letter to the mayor and my city councillor about the budget, but what good is it when they're both on the police board? Where's my representation? I'd love to know more about how we ended up with a system where the police appear to have so much power. Carolyn Fisher in Waterloo, Ontario. It seems like every day I'm seeing news coverage of tent cities and receiving pleas from the local food bank for donations to help out in the face of overwhelming demand for food assistance. Unaffordable housing and food insecurity are related issues and have physical and mental health consequences. While these are not easy problems to solve, particularly in the short term, I believe we could do more. We need to do more. Political partisanship has no place in the discussion. Mike McNaughton in London. So what Mike writes. What's on his mind? Reckless driving. My family's farm is on the main highway outside of London. And it can be a nightmare trying to move machinery from one field to another. And I think when Mike's talking about um, the main highway, he's not talking about the 401 outside of London. He's, he's talking about a, uh, what we refer to as kind of single lane highways. When we're on the highway, we see too many drivers taking big risks to try to pass our machinery. Every time I try to make a left turn crossing the opposite lane to get into our driveway, I'm constantly looking in the mirror and stressed. It doesn't matter when I'm completely stopped and indicating to make that left turn. 90% of the traffic behind me keeps passing and won't allow me to turn. Farmers aren't perfect either, but they are allowed to use the roads to move machinery. There have been too many fatal accidents in our area the last few months. I just like to see more respect on our roads, no matter what you are driving. It seems everyone is always in a rush and drives like they are the only ones on the road. Yeah, Mike, that's you know, I because I live in Stratford, I do I do a lot of driving in the country, whether it's just getting back and forth to Toronto or or around the Stratford area and this always been it's always been a concern for me because you're on the highway you're going whatever 80 100 clicks and suddenly boom you're right up behind a 
a tractor pulling whatever, and it's going like five clicks or ten clicks. And, you know, you get impatient. And that is never good on a highway. Deb Greening in the Lakeland District, Saskatchewan. I can't stop thinking about Alexei Navalny. I feel a deep sadness as if he were a close family member. He was not just Russian, but belonged to our universal family and exhibited what we all need to strive for if our civilization is to survive. Hope, truth, loyalty, kindness, strength, and love. He was fearless, and we need to see him and remember him in stark contrast to the cowards and liars who populate our right-wing political landscape. To remind us that there is still goodness in the world, and we must fight to preserve it. Richard Byrd, London, Ontario. Inflation is on my mind this week. I was encouraged to hear that January inflation rate was down to 2.9%, but still Bank of Canada has decided to hold off on lowering rates. This technique of raising interest rates to cool inflation has bothered me from the start of this inflationary cycle. I agree that some inflationary pressures came from the additional spending afforded due to subsidies during the pandemic, resulting in higher demand. But more of it was due to supply disruptions. Raising interest rates does not address supply problems, especially in housing, as builders are delaying new bills due to the high cost of borrowing. The greatest contributors to current inflation are mortgage interest costs and rent. As more mortgages come up for renewal, mortgage interest costs will continue to drive higher inflation. Cindy Duchesne Giroux in Beaumont, Alberta. The number one thing that's on my mind is my imminent retirement. Although I've worked hard my whole life, raised four boys, saved and put money in RSPs, I still worry if I'll have enough. Unless you're a multimillionaire, do you really have enough? I don't think so. Lois Perot in Perth, Ontario. I'm sorry to say that what's on my mind is money. Yours, mine, and ours. Personally, my husband and I are financially comfortable in our retirement. Not rich, but we're comfortable. But I look around me and see problems everywhere. Problems that require big bucks to solve. Food prices, homelessness, housing shortages, healthcare shortcomings skyrocketing education costs, and then there's world hunger. Huge challenges to save our environment, and one I had not given much thought to in the past, military spending. I do not envy our government leaders when it comes to budgeting our tax dollars, but I do worry that we will all be living less high on the hog in years to come if we're to attempt to solve any of these problems. Julie Smith-Allen in Lethbridge, Alberta. Top of mind for me is that bullies are having too much unbridled success. Bullies engaged in war. Bullies who've convinced millions that they are victims of a witch hunt. And bullies who beat trans kids to death in a school bathroom. I am worried for the world. 
Here's our last letter this week. Comes from Andrew Menard in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. The national debt. Two billion dollars just announced for BC housing. Quebec requesting a billion to deal with asylum seekers. Municipal debt. Provincial debt. National debt. That's what's on my mind this week. A lot of letters. You know, I I love the thought that the these ideas we've been coming up lately for for your turn have inspired so many of you to sit down at your laptops or your phones or your desktops and tell us what you're thinking. Could be on about a specific issue as we've been doing a lot lately or just a general one like this, which we'll do every few weeks. What's on your mind? You can write about anything. And, uh, you know, I look forward to reading them, knowing that that's where it's coming from. It's coming from the heart. It's coming from your home. Whether you're in small town, Saskatchewan, or big cities like Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton. Whether you're on the East Coast, the West Coast, the North. You sit down and you write a few sentences. And we join together on Thursdays and kind of talk about the national mood, at least on some subjects. And I know there are many other opinions on a lot of different things. So don't be shy, write them. Be as polite as possible. <laughs> and uh, we look forward to having this kind of campfire session once a week. All right, you know who it's time for. And I warn you, some of you are not going to like what the rancher has to say this week. But it's not a popularity contest. It's provoking thought and debate and discussion. And I have no doubt <laughs> that some of you will have thoughts about this. Here he comes, the random ranter for this week. I think Joe Biden and Justin Trudeau should catch a whiff of reality and realize that they're both doing more harm than good by continuing to lead their parties into the next election season. I mean, for some reason... They both believe their opponents are on par with the Antichrist, and only they can defeat them. It's completely delusional. I mean, it's pretty clear that Justin hates Polyev, but no matter how much hatred he musters up for the guy, it pales in comparison to the contempt that everyday Canadians are showing for Justin. And judging by all the scandals, all the waste, and all the excess, that contempt is well-earned. I'm sorry, but the Liberals just don't deserve another term, especially with Trudeau at the helm. But he doesn't see it. He just sees Polyev's brand of social conservatism as an existential threat to Canadian values. Yet he's blind to his role in helping to make it all happen. I mean, I can't think of a surer way to guarantee a Polyev win than having Trudeau lead the Liberals into the next election. 
And there's no amount of anti-conservative fear-mongering that can change that. So why is Trudeau staying? I know he's got a big ego, but does he really want his legacy to be a crushing defeat at the hands of Polyev? And the same goes for Joe. He did his part last election. Does he really want his legacy to be losing to the cult of MAGA? I mean, the last thing the world needs is a round two POTUS with an inclination for wreaking havoc on everything. So I don't get it. With the stakes that high, why does Joe think he's the best person for the job? And look, no offense to Joe, but his age is showing, and it's showing poorly. He looks frail. He sounds frail. And when the highly partisan special counsel says he's having some trouble with his memory, it seems reasonable, believable, and even likely. But there's Joe standing unsteadily at the podium to fight the accusations while simultaneously projecting them for all to see. It doesn't have to be like this. There's a lot of capable Democrats in the U.S. Surely there's a better alternative than Biden. Surely there's someone that voters can be excited to support. Because I really think that without someone more dynamic than Biden, Democrats are in trouble. They don't have the undying support of a cult. To win, they're going to have to motivate people to show up at the polls. Because win or lose, or lose and say you won, there's no arguing the MAGA crowd is motivated. Super motivated. January 6th motivated. And that's why it's so important. A MAGA win won't just weaken the United States. It won't just endanger democracy. It could destabilize the entire world order. And for what? An old man's ego? The whole thing makes no sense to me. I mean, I understand that politicians require a big ego. I get that they're fueled by hubris. But what about the parties they're leading? Are they all just a bunch of leftist lemmings willing to follow their leaders off the precipice? Why aren't they forcing the issue? I mean, I get the whole United Front thing, but it should just be the captain that goes down with the ship, not the entire crew. I'm thinking it's time to launch the lifeboats. Well, I warned you. <laughs> I can see those cards and letters coming in already. I, I'll just say this. New poll out today from Quinnipiac in the United States, which is, you know, well-regarded. Shows Biden with a four-point lead against Trump. Now, there's a poll a day in the United States, if they're not a poll an hour, and uh, you'll definitely get ones that show different results than that. In Canada, it's pretty consistent. The liberals are getting hammered. And every day they turn around, they seem to do something else. That makes their situation worse. This week, this week, a cabinet minister goes on a trip to the other side of the world and has his staff or somebody, or maybe it was a selfie, take a picture of him gorging on a lobster. Now, he's an East Coast cabinet minister, and he's proud of the fact that Canadian lobster go all or sent all around the world. But this is this really the image you want posted on social media? I'm out representing you on your dime, and I'm, I'm having a lobster feast in some exotic location. I don't know. I don't think that won him any votes, even with lobster fishermen. 
Okay, we're almost out of time, but I have an end bit I want to share. Do you like auctions? I love auctions. I love watching auctions. I love following the online, the plethora of online auctions these days. In fact, uh, two weeks ago in London, Ontario, I picked up a 10-volume set of books on Canadian history that was written around 1900. And it's in pretty good condition. I got it for 10 bucks, or was it 15? I think it was $15. Amazing. Love it. Looks great in my little library. Anyways, an auction I was following in London, England. And up for sale was the microphone that was allegedly used uh, for some of Churchill's biggest speeches during the Second World War, including the one he gave on VE Day. And we're coming up next year on the 80th anniversary of that speech. Now, I was not involved in the bidding, but I look at the pictures of it, I go, man, if I had 11,500 pounds, which is about $20,000, I'd have loved to have got that microphone. It would look fantastic in my memorabilia section. Then again, a much better deal. Churchill's false teeth. <laughs> Gold-mounted false teeth worn by Sir Winston Churchill, which he was wearing the day of his We Shall Fight on the Beaches speech in 1940. They were specifically made to preserve his natural lisp and so important, he carried two sets with him at all times. A story on the BBC. They were snapped up for more than double the 8,000-pound guide price. <laughs> I don't know. That gives me a creepy. Oh, there's, there's Churchill's teeth on my desk over there. I don't think so. I wouldn't be too popular. All right. Maybe that would be a good question someday. What's the neatest thing you've ever bought at an auction? That's not the question for next week. At least it isn't yet. It may be. I like that idea, though. Could be fun. Okay, wrap-up time. Tomorrow, good talk. Chantelle Bear, Bruce Anderson. <laughs> Lots to talk about, as usual, with those two. And then Chantelle's off on a little holiday. She'll be gone for a couple of weeks, so tomorrow's her last appearance for a couple of weeks till kind of middle of March when she'll be back. But tomorrow, Chantelle and Bruce will be here for good talk. I'm Peter Mansbridge. So, thanks so much for listening, and thanks so much for your letters again this week. Always a treat to hear from you. We'll talk again in 24 hours. Mm -hmm.